The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Friday evening, September 14th, Saturday morning, the 15th, and then on Sunday morning, Sean McDowell will be with us here at TBC. Uh, Sean McDowell is the son of Josh McDowell. Josh had a great influence in my life uh, for coming and walking with Christ later on in uh, my college years. Uh, But Sean is an apologist, a defender of the faith. He talks about how to share our faith with the coming generation or the upcoming generation. And uh, he is a passionate gifted communicator. If you've heard him at all, uh, you're going to enjoy the time we have with him. Uh, And so I encourage you to mark that out. You have to register to be a part of this. Attendance is free. We do have child care, 10 bucks per family uh, for that entire time, but we're going to have breakfast tacos and some other snacks. So you have to register. You go to templebiblechurch.org, go to the hub area, and you can register to be part of that there. So you need to do that to participate that weekend, I guarantee you, if you can just come for a part of the weekend, that's fine, but I guarantee you won't be disappointed if you join us for part or all of that weekend for Sean McDowell, who also actually preach uh, that Sunday morning, so he'll be here on the 16th preaching as well. So a lot of things happening at TVC. You can take a look in the bulletin. We're launching a lot of things, a lot of uh, opportunities for you to grow, opportunities to serve. Uh, this is, in 37 years of ministry, this is the first time when we've launched a new school year that we have uh, all of our slots filled for child workers. That's an amazing gift that God has given us through you. And uh, that doesn't mean we have everything we need for the whole year. So uh, if you'd like to come alongside and serve our kids, rock some babies, or uh, just be part of that, we would love to have you participate in that. John chapter 15. Let's do something a little different this morning. I'm going to ask you to stand as we read God's word together. That's a euphemism. I'm going to read. You're going to listen. How's that? Not we. John 15, 1, your devices or your Bibles. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the, tr- I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done for you. Father, we read these words about abiding and being branches and vines and bearing fruit. And Lord, you tell us your Holy Spirit will guide us into truth. So Spirit of God, we ask you, to teach us truth this morning as we study your word that's given to us. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. You ever have a day that's gone from bad to worse? I mean, it just, as the day went on, things got, started bad, but they got a whole lot worse. Anybody have a day like that ever? Somebody's saying, Pastor Gary, day like that, I've had months like that, okay? I read the story of a young man who had an evening like that. Uh, He uh, decided he needed some gas and rather than gone down the store, he didn't have any money. And so he waited until his parents were asleep, waited until his neighbors were asleep. And the next door neighbors had a large RV. 
So he decided he would go and siphon some gas out of the neighbor's tank. So he got a gas can, he got a hose, and I don't know anybody does that anymore, but to do it, you've got to begin to suck it out and get the flow going and put it into the bucket. So after everybody was asleep, he snuck over next door to the neighbor's RV, he unscrewed the cap, he sucked into the hose, and suddenly he began to scream and choke and roll on the ground. The neighbor heard the commotion, turned the outside lights on, looked at the situation, and instantly saw the young man's dilemma. Things had gone from bad to worse from him. You see, what happened is he had placed the hose not in the gas tank, but in the other tank. (laughs) And for for his trouble, he got a mouthful of you-know-what. The neighbor surveyed the situation for a few minutes, decided the young boy had learned his lesson, so he turned off the lights and went back in the house. (laughs) That's gone from bad to worse real quickly, isn't it? I mean, I can't even begin to imagine that and don't want to think about it. But Jesus' disciples in the same situation, not with an RV, but a situation that's gone from bad to worse. You see, Jesus has told them earlier, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, that he says, my children, I'm going to be with you only for a little while longer. You will look for me. You're not going to find me because where I'm gone, you cannot come. So they're between a rock and a hard place. They're between a rock and a hard place. He says, I'm going to go someplace and you can't come. And so there's the rock, the hard place, things going from bad to worse in their minds because uh, next week we're going to see in John chapter 16 or in a couple of weeks, Jesus tells them this in 15, 18, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. And then he's going to tell them they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. And they're between a rock and a hard place. He said, I'm leaving, you can't come. And not only that, but the world's going to hate you just like it hates me. And not only that, they're going to kick you out of the synagogue. And not only that, they're going to come looking for you and killing you and say they're doing it in the name of God. That's between a rock and a hard place. That's a day that's gone from bad to worse, right? He says, I'm leaving, you can't come. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to die. You're going to be hated. And that's the bad news. Sandwiched in between that, though, are three promises. Sandwiched in between this rock and this hard place are three promises. We've looked at them. He said, in the midst of all that's coming, in the midst of all your experience of me leaving and the fact that you're going to be persecuted, I I want you to know that you have one another to love on. They shall know you're my disciples because you love one another. And he says, in the midst of all the suffering, all the pain, all the persecution, everything that's coming, you still have one another. And then last week we saw not only are you going to have one another, but in the previous chapter, chapter 14, he's told them, he says, I'm going to leave and I'm going to ask the Father, this is verse 16 of chapter 14, and he will give you another helper that that he may be with you. This helper is the spirit of truth. And then if you drop down to verse 26, he says, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father sends, will teach you all things. And so he says, you're between a rock and a hard place. I'm going to leave. You can't come. You're going to be persecuted. People are going to kill you in the name of God. But I want you to know you have one another to love on. You can can have a community of believers that will be strong. We talk about community all the time here. And not only that, but I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. The Father is going to send the Holy Spirit when I help. And you're going to have the Spirit of God to counsel you, to comfort you, to defend you, and to intercede for you. And then there's a third thing. And that's what we're going to look at in John 15. The third thing is, even though I'm leaving, we're going to be connected. Even though I'm leaving, we're going to be united. 
Even though I'm leaving, just as a branch is connected to the vine, the vine being the trunk in this situation, just as they are connected, so are we. Just because I'm gone, we're not going to lose our connection. And not only that, because we're connected, you're going to bear fruit. It's not just remaining connected to me, but you are going to be men and women who bear fruit. So the promises to the disciples are promises given to us as well. I'm leaving, you can't come. Difficult times will come. You read Revelation, you find out that that's what it's talking about. One day there's going to be difficult times, a time of great tribulation coming. And, and maybe we live in the midst of difficult times right now, I would say. But he says, when I leave, you've got one another. You've got a community of believers to be loved by and to love. And not only that, I've given you the Spirit of God. The moment you trust Christ as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling. And not only that, I, I, I am the vine, the Father, the vine dresser, you're the branches. We are united. We have a connection. And through that connection, you have life. And you have life so you may bear fruit. So let's pick apart John chapter 15. The first seven verses are really the analogy, and uh, then we'll look at the application of the analogy. In the analogy, what we see is that a true disciple produces spiritual fruit. A true disciple bears or produces spiritual fruit. Jesus says in John 15, 1, I am the true vine. This is the seventh of seven I am statements in the gospel of John. He has said, I am the bread of life. He has said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He has said, I am the resurrection of life. He said, I, I am the gate. He says, uh, over and over in John, he has stated who he is. The seventh time, he says, I am. And this time he says, I am the true vine. If you look at the first couple of verses, it's almost like picking up a program when you go to a play or a symphony or a ball game. You want to know who the players are, right? And he says, I, I'm going to tell you who the players are. I am the vine, so I am the true vine, so Jesus is the vine. My father, that is God the father, is the vine dresser. That would be like the gardener, the one who tends to the vineyard. And then every branch in me, and so he's talking about disciples. He's talking about those of us that know Christ as Savior. So those are the players. Jesus is the vine, the Father is the vine dresser, we are the branches. That's what we're going to look at in the first seven verses here. So as we look at that, we recognize who we are. Now, Jesus is using a very familiar allegory, if you will, when he talks about the vine and the branches, when he, he speaks to the disciples. They knew what this was like. It would be like explaining a vineyard to somebody who lives in Napa, California, or, or even in Fredericksburg, Texas right now. I don't know the last time you've driven through there, but we were there a few weeks ago. It's vineyard after vineyard after vineyard after vineyard. And so this is what a vineyard looks like. This is actually a picture out of Napa, California. And so it's a vineyard. A vineyard is, is that which uh, you've got uh, grapes that are produced and they are turned into wine, as you know, uh, after they're picked. And so this is what a vineyard looks like. The, the vine here is the trunk, the branches or the leaves and the, 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 the vines that grow out of the trunk or the branches that grow out of the trunk. And that's what produces the fruit. And so what we see here, Jesus is telling his disciples, I'm the vine, they, their mind would immediately go to vineyards. If you go to Israel, what you'll see in Israel is that there are vineyards in many places. If you go to Israel, there are many vineyards, there are many palm trees, and there are many olive trees. And the disciples have met with Christ in the upper room. They're headed to the Mount of Olives where Jesus says, I want you to stay, I want you to wait, and I want you to pray. That's where they're headed. That's where Christ would be arrested. So they've met in the upper room, and to get to the Mount of Olives, they have to go through a valley. 
Jerusalem is high. They've got to go through the valley. They go through the Kidron Valley, and then they go up to the Mount of Olives. Well, the Kidron Valley had olive trees, palm trees, and vineyards in it. And so it could be that Christ is looking at a vineyard when he teaches this to the disciples. Or it could be they've just walked next to, or across from the, or through the temple. Could be that they walked by the temple doors, and if they did so, they would see the doors of the temple, and you can't really see it that well. You can Google up images, just Google up doors in the temple in Jerusalem, and what you'll see is an you'll see a grapevine that's trellised all the way around. It's actually carved into it's a golden vine carved around the doors of the temple. And so maybe Jesus and the disciples just walked by that. We don't know. Maybe he's walked them through a vineyard. We don't know. But they would be very familiar with what Jesus is talking about. Vineyards were something that they would see over and over and over as they would walk through Israel. The point of the analogy is this. Just as a branch gets life from the vine and produces fruit, those of us who are united in Jesus get life from him and produce fruit. That's the analogy. I mean, when we look at what Jesus is teaching them, he's saying, just as a branch that sprouts out from the vine and produces fruit because it has life. Likewise, those of us that know Christ are branches that come out of the vine, Jesus being the vine. And that's where we get life. And that's where we produce fruit. So let's pick a couple of things out as we look at those verses and then we'll talk about how to apply them. First of all, when I look at some of the details in verses one through six, the first thing you notice in verse one, Jesus says, I am, what kind of vine? The true vine. So if he's the true vine, true vine, it must mean there is a what? False vine. So we've got to ask that question, what's the false vine? What's pretty interesting, if you go back to the Old Testament, there are 11 times when the nation of Israel is likened, likened into a vineyard. And in the majority of those cases, it talks about the fruit that's produced within Israel not being good fruit, but being bad fruit. So there are a couple of classic passages. One is Psalm 80, but Isaiah 5 may be the best place for us to look. So up on the screen, I've got Isaiah 5 for you. In Isaiah 5, it says, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and he cleared it of its stones. And he planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it. He cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes. But it yielded only, read with me, it yielded only what? Bad fruit. And so in the analogy, the allegory, he's saying, uh, the father has planted a vineyard. He's provided everything this vineyard needs. He's, he's put it a place that's fertile on the hillside. He cleared out the, the, all the rubble, all the stones that were in, in there so he could grow up. And he, he cleared out the fields to make it a good place. And he planted it with choice vines, not just some, some renegade vines that he found somewhere, but he went and found the choicest vines to produce the best fruit. Built a watchtower to watch over animals that might come, to watch over marauders that may come, to protect the vineyard cut out a wine press expecting a crop. That way he could take the grapes and crush the grapes and use it as wine. But then the scriptures say, he looked for good crops, good grapes, but that's not what came. And then he gets specific, you who dwell in Jerusalem and the people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard, the Lord is saying, what more could I have done for my vineyard than I've done for it? He said, I've provided everything you've needed, but instead of following after me, they had submerged themselves into a life of idolatry. 
And he says, when I looked for good grapes, all I found was bad. And so the analogy is I've provided everything you need to be fruitful and to produce the best crop, but you've turned away from me. And Jesus is saying, I'm the true vine. The way to know the Father and please the Father is through me, not through Israel. It's through me. They are the false vine. Now, we recognize Israel was God's chosen people, but over and over we find them turning away from the Father. We find them not trusting the Father. We find them turning away from Him rather than trusting Him. And Jesus says, Israel is a false vine. I've given them all the advantage to bear fruit, but they haven't. They haven't done it. So being connected to the true vine is the only way to please the Father. It's not through religion. It's not through ethnicity. See, by the first century, when Jesus came on the scene, the Jewish people thought because they were the sons of Abraham, they were okay spiritually. They were born into the right family, right? And so they're okay. Nothing can be further from the truth. The entire book of Galatians is about that. Hebrews chapter 11, you were to come by what? By faith. It's not who you're related to. It's not where you're born. It's not who you know. It's not because you've got godly parents. It's not because you're Jewish. It's not because you're American. I read an article in, uh, online, I don't know, it's about six or eight weeks ago, and it was a family. The lady was ready to give birth. She went into labor, and so they got in, uh, in the pickup truck to drive to the hospital. The problem is, before they got to the hospital, it was time for the baby to come. So they pulled off the side of the, the road that they were on. Fortunately, there was a nurse who happened to see what was going on, and she stopped to help them, and the baby was born in the backseat of the truck. It was a dual cab truck, and the baby was born back there. That baby was born in a truck. It didn't make that baby a truck, did it? They didn't hold that baby up and say, wow, I've got a sweet little truck right here. (laughs) Likewise, just because you're born to the nation of Israel, or you're born in America, or you're rightly related to godly parents, it doesn't make you a branch. He says, I am the true vine. The branches are those that trust in Christ. He says, every branch in me. The Father's the one who places us in him. The Father's the one who chooses us. The Father is the one who does this. It's a gift of grace. And so I've got to stop and ask you, are you connected to the vine? You saw 27 folks getting baptized. I mean, it was a great celebration last Sunday night. If you weren't here, you missed a great celebration. Put in your calendar the third Sunday night in October. We'll do it again. Not with the same 27, with different folks, okay? <laughs> with some of you who need to proclaim your faith in Christ. It was a great experience. They, every testimony was how Christ had transformed their hearts. Has that happened to you? That's how you become connected to the true vine. The true vine. The second thing, as I read through this, I've got to ask a question. Look at verse two. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes it away. Who's he talking about that gets taken away? And then I drop down to verse six and it says, if anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away as a branch and he's dried up and he's gathered and they cast into a fire and they're burned up. Who's he talking about? Who gets cast into fire and burned up? Who, Who are these people are thrown away? Well, there are different ways to interpret that. There's one group of people that says, well, obviously there's people that can lose their salvation. They're in Christ, but then they dry up and they're cast into the fire, the fiery pit of hell. And so they have lost their salvation. When I look at the overall tenor scripture, I don't think that's possible. I believe the doctrine of eternal security is a true doctrine. 
I believe the moment you come to faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're eternally secure. You're kept in him by him forever. If you don't believe that, go back and listen to the sermon I preached on John chapter 10 several weeks ago. We dealt with the issue of eternal security. So this is it say, well, this is a loss of rewards because in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, it talks about rewards that are, or, or works that are done in the flesh become hay, wood, and stubble, and they get burned up, which is a true statement, but I don't think that's what this passage is teaching. I think this passage is teaching one or two things. It's either teaching about those who turn away from Christ they are in him. That's what it says in verse two, every branch in me. Uh, so they're in Christ, but they go through a time of spiritual dryness. They go through a time, it's like being in the desert. It's like being in West Texas, or it's like being here right now in some ways. It's a time of spiritual dryness. And it's just a picture of what happens. It's like we're, like we're burned up on the inside. Personally, the view that I hold is, this is a reference to folks who, are professors verbally, but not true possessors of Christ as Savior. In Matthew chapter 7, the end of the great, uh, or, or the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about a certain group of people. And he's actually talking in the context of fruit and trees. He says, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, bad trees bear bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. And then he goes on and he says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of the Father. Many will say to me, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we perform miracles in your name? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. You work of iniquity. Depart from me. We say, wait a minute. Who are these guys? They are people that knew about Jesus but never trusted Jesus and been transformed. They did good works but they didn't know the good, good father. And I believe that's what these verses in John 15 refer to. It's a great study. And then another thing I note here, pruning takes place. If you look at the end of verse uh, two, every branch in me that bears fruit, uh, we prune so to bear more fruit. If you've been to vineyard, sometimes the, 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 the trunks, everything's cut off. All the branches are cut off. Everything's cut off. I mean, the, the, he goes about pruning. The, the vine dresser, the father in the analogy, goes about pruning. A number of years ago, three years ago, Bev and I did a conference for our missionaries in uh, France, and uh, we had a few days on the way in, so we decided we'd go to Bordeaux, France on the way in, spend a couple of days there as our anniversary, and then we would go and do this conference. And uh, so we signed up. There's not a whole lot to, well, Bordeaux's a beautiful village and our city and stuff, and but it's surrounded by wine country. And so we decided, well, we'll sign up and take a tour. So we signed up. There were supposed to be eight people on this tour. We woke up. It was a chilly, rainy day. And uh, when the van pulled up to get us, the other three couples had bailed. And so it's just me and Bev and a guide. I learned more about vineyards and wine than a pastor needs to know. (laughs) But the whole time I'm thinking John 15. And eventually I got to share with our guide John 15. He had never heard it. And we talked about vineyards and vine dressers, and we talked about pruning, and he gave us a lesson in pruning. We stopped at, they called them chateaus, we stopped at three chateaus, and as we stopped there, he took us to one where, that had just been pruned. And he brought the gardener out, the vine dresser. And he showed us how he pruned it, and he told us about when he pruned, and when the first stalks come up, some of them are, are, more, are immature, and he knows they're not going to grow and be strong, and so he prunes them back. But the ones that are strongest, that they grow and they produce fruit, and at the end of the season, you know what he does? He cuts them back completely so they might bear what? More fruit. That's exactly what Jesus is saying. 
Hey, as you bear fruit, I'll prune you back. Now, pruning can be painful. I, I guess that vine's out there saying, come get me, come get me, come get me. I was pruned this week. I, I Googled up uh, sermons on John 15 and preached through it, so I always try and listen to a couple of guys that have done it, and I found a sermon by Francis Chan. You know who Francis Chan is? Crazy love. I'm listening to Francis Chan. I, I sent the link to all my staff. I said, you know, it may just be where I'm in life, but at the end of that sermon, Chan starts talking about intimacy with Christ. You see, the word abide means to remain in, to cling to. And Chan talks, he talks about being intimate with Christ, clinging to him. And, and so I listened to the first half before I went to the gym to work out, and I decided I need to listen to the second half. So I'm driving around town. I hear better through the Bluetooth in my car than I do any other way because I'm deaf. And so I'm driving around, and Chan starts talking about this intimacy. I'm so convicted, I pull my car to the side of the road and listen and shed a few tears and get pruned. Get pruned. You see, here's what came to my mind. Gary, you spend way more time thinking about intimacy with your bride. I'm not talking about sexual intimacy. I'm talking about honoring her. I love my bride. I, I think about date nights. I think about getting away regularly. I think about how I can honor her. I think about all these different things that I can do to love my wife, to be intimate with her. And I'm listening to Chan, and I'm thinking, I'm way more conscientious of loving Bev, and that's a good thing, than I am of being intimate with the Savior. And I just get pruned and clipped. I mean, the things we start thinking about, football season starts. Anybody got that on your mind? Three LSU websites every morning right here I read. <laughs> every single day. Uh, dove season opens this weekend. And you guys thinking about that? Two honest guys. <laughs> thank you, brother, and thank you, brother. Um, school started. Has that been on your mind at all? I mean, do I need to go on? The things we think about rather than thinking about intimacy with the Savior. And your pastor got pruned this week. It was a good thing. And my prayer is that it produces great fruit. So he says, I'm going to prune you back so you bear more fruit. And then the key word here, I think, is abide, right? What does it mean to abide? Because it's when we abide in him. I mean, over and over, it's a verb. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's what we see here, isn't it? Every branch in me to bear fruit, I'm going to take away. And then he says in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. And then he goes on and he says that you need to abide in me. Verse 7, if you abide in me. So we see this word over and over. It's not a word that we use often. So what in the world does it mean? Bishop Ryle, who wrote back in the 1800s, wrote a commentary on John. And he said, uh, abide means to cling to, to stick fast to, to live life close and intimate communion with, with God. It, it means getting nearer and nearer to him. It's rolling every burden on him. It's casting the weight of the world upon him. It's never letting go of the hold that he has on you. It, it means being connected to and remaining in. Now, the great news is he's the one who connects to us, right? He chooses us and he connects us. So we don't have to worry about losing that, but we do have to abide. 
Sinclair Ferguson wrote this. He said, abiding talks about us being obedient to him. Abiding involves our response to the teachings of Christ. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. Paul would say in Colossians, let the word of God richly dwell in you. And so abiding is when we rest in him, when we remain in him, when we wait in him, the word abide can be remain in. So we rest in him. We think about him. We cling to him. We become intimate with him. And I don't know about you, but that's an area I can grow in all the time. And when that happens, we become fruit bearers. Now, a branch, a branch doesn't say, look at me, I produce fruit. And so now after that fruit's coming, I'm going to grow back into the vine. I'm going to grow myself back into the trunk and, or I'm going to produce my own fruit. Those are stems from grapes that somebody ate. It's dead. It's not going to bear any more fruit. It's done. I hope the grapes are good. But it has no life apart from the vine. And that's what Jesus is saying. True disciples produce spiritual fruit. So, Pastor Gary, I want to do that. I want to abide in Christ. I want to produce fruit. But what kind of fruit are we talking about here? Let let me give you from the context what I see. First of all, the fruit of answered prayer. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. That means we get everything we want. You pray for a million dollars, you get a million dollars. I'm praying for the bluebell truck to turn over in my driveway so I can get all I want. I mean, does it happen that way? Is that, is, that, is that what this verse is talking about? No, praying is the abiding. When we pray, we talk to him. When we pray, we're abiding him. When we pray, we're remaining him. And what comes out of that is the fruit of a relationship with him. Lord, I want to bear fruit. So we abide in him. We pray. And, and he says, okay, I, I'm going to answer those prayers. I mean, for some of us, we think God is a genie and we rub the magic prayer dish and everything pops up when we get what we want. Remember the story of the little girl who wanted a kitten? She wanted a kitten so badly, she finally told her dad, said, uh, I, I, if I don't have a kitten, I don't know what I'm going to do. And so the dad said, you need to go get on your knees and ask Jesus for a kitten. So she runs in the backyard. An amazing thing happened. In the house behind their house, there was a family whose kitten got stuck in a tree. And the dad decided the only way to kitten down was to tie a rope to the tree and a rope to the bumper of the car to pull it back and then reach up and grab the kitten. You know what happened, don't you? <laughs> so he gets the two taunt, it pops, the kitten goes off, they can't find the kitten anywhere. The little girl in her backyard next door across the back alley is on her knees praying and all of a sudden this kitten falls out of heaven. <laughs> I mean, that's how some of us think God operates, right? I I want a million bucks, I pray. I want to be an All-American. I want to be a great football player. I want to be whatever. And all of a sudden we pray and it comes. That's not what he's talking about here. He's saying, you abide in me. And the, 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 the answered prayer is the fruit. And it's the prayer to abide, to remain in him. Secondly, not only answered prayer, but it's obedient love. One of the things you can't get past in this chapter is he calls us to love one another. Look at verse 9. Just as the Father has loved me, I've also loved you. Abide in my love. Look at verse 10. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I've kept my my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
And then you drop down to verse 12. This is my command that you love one another just as I have loved you. Then you go to verse 17. This is I command, this I command you that you love one another. Over and over he says you need to love one another. He knew how difficult it would be for us to love one another. So he says love, 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 love. In fact, if you're going to keep my command, you're going to love me. Or you're going to love others. Get your pins ready. Get your devices ready. Get anybody in your life that's difficult to love. Anybody in your life difficult to love? It's hard sometimes. Hey, they just spread gossip about you. She just went off on you. I thought we were friends. You've got a neighbor, doesn't cut his grass ever, and it looks like a doggone field that's ready to be harvested. It's hard to love that guy. Or maybe you are that guy. You know what I'm talking about? You got a neighbor, has a big old dually, starts it at five o'clock in the morning. You're in bed at five o'clock, wakes you up every single morning. You just want to spread the love, right? <laughs> he says, if you have my commandments and keep them, you love me. You got to love one another. Who's that hard person for you to love? Type it in, write it down. Begin to pray that God gives you a great love for that person. Years ago, there was a person here who, whenever we, Bev and I saw them in the hallway, they had something to complain about every Sunday. And so Bev and I began to pray, Lord, you've got to help us to love this person. This person went to glory a long time ago, so I can tell this story. But, but, but I mean, she was so critical. And so you know what we did? We began to love her. We invited her out to lunch a couple of times. Before she went to glory, we became her greatest heroes just because she needs somebody to love her. Hey, you've got critics around, you've got people that are hard to be around, love on them. So there's uh, answered prayer, obedient love, inexhaustible joy. Look, look at verse uh, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you. He says, I'm gonna give you joy. You're going to abide in me and and that your joy may be made full. He says, you're going to have fullness of joy. It's an inexhaustible joy. You're to be joyful in the midst of that. Now, joy is not an emotion. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. In any circumstance, no matter how you're suffering, the trial you've gone through, you can have joy. Happiness is different from joy. Happiness is emotion. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And, And so it's my prayer that you have joy. One of the things... Those of you who were here five years ago, when I was first diagnosed with this horrible disease, I, I really struggled. The, the joy was ripped out of my sails. And God slowly brought me back around. And so for the last five years, we've been praying that Bev and I can be a model of joy to you, our flock, of what it looks like to go through difficult times. No matter what it is, we can have joy. The final thing is sacrificial love. Greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for a friend. That's what Jesus is about to do. He's ready to lay down his life for his friends, right? And he says, hey, if you really love me. Now, here's the reality. We get, you know, we have a lot of people walk through the doors this weekend. Chances are not a single one of us will be called to give up our life for somebody else. I mean, this is not Hollywood. You're not going to walk out there and there's going to be a speeding car. You're going to push your wife aside and you're going to take the bullet. Chances are none of us are going to experience that. But he calls us to sacrificial love. 
Maybe it's sacrificing an hour to rock babies in the nursery. Maybe it's sacrificing a night to be part of a small group. Maybe it's sacrificing a weekend to go to a men's conference. Maybe it's sacrificing financially so you can give generously. I don't know what it is, but he calls us to sacrificial love. See, the, the whole teaching here, I think, is this. True disciples bear spiritual fruit. Apple trees bear apples. Peach trees bear peaches. A follower of Jesus prays, loves, and obeys. When I was at Dallas Seminary a number of years ago, they worked out a deal for seminary students that if you wanted to go see the Texas OU football game the weekend of the state fair, then you could show up, you could sell programs, and I think you'd sell 200 programs, you made like 10 or 20 bucks, and you got in the game free, you had to stand in a standing room only section, so I'm all over that, right? And so I'll never forget, the first time I did it was my second year at Dallas Seminary, I rode with a friend, and uh, he said, uh, Gary, I'm going to go get everything we need. You get these little uh, things, little like uh, carpenter things where you put the money in and all that stuff and you can give change, etc. And he's going to bring the programs. Well, if you know me, I'm not good about waiting. He says, remain here. Remember the word abide means remain? <laughs> he said, I want you to stand here and I'll be back in a few minutes. It was pretty crowded. People are coming in. We're there early, but there are people there. I'd never been to Texas State Fair, so I waited five minutes. I waited 10 minutes, and I don't wait well, and so I started walking. And then I'm lost, and I'm not lost. Men don't get lost, okay? I'm, <laughs> I, I just kind of... He drove. I didn't pay attention to where we were. He's the one that went to get the stuff. I don't know where I am. The crowds are starting to come. I'm supposed to be selling programs. The fruit was you go to the game and you make some money. But I didn't abide. And so I'm frantic now. I, I'm looking. I don't know where to go. I, he was supposed to meet at some gate or we, he dropped me off at some gate. I can remember the gate. I didn't pay attention. And then I felt a tap on the shoulder. Hey, Gary, you looking for me? Here are the programs. Here's the money pouch. That's what it is, money pouch. I couldn't think of the word. And uh, sell your things and I'll meet you up. And he told me the section. I listened very carefully to meet him up there. (laughs) Had I abided, which I didn't, I'd have garnered that fruit a lot quicker. I was the last one to sell a lot of programs that day. But you know, It wasn't about what I did, it was about what he did. He found me, that's what Jesus did. He gave me everything I needed to bear fruit. And that's what happened. Or you abiding in him. Father, we thank you that you have set us free, that you have provided everything we need, that you have grafted us in, that you have chosen us, that you've given us life. And we pray that we would walk in obedient love. We pray that we would have inexhaustible joy. We pray that we would be those who live sacrificially. And we pray that we would bear much fruit. Lord, some of us need to be pruned as I was pruned this week. Some of us need to become those who become part of the vineyard by trusting Christ as Savior for the first time. I don't know how God's touched you this morning, but I pray that before you leave this auditorium, if you're not sure if Christ is your Savior, you need to be part of the vineyard. You become part of the vineyard. You become a branch by trusting him. And maybe you know that you need some pruning so that you will abide in him the way you should. 
you're not clinging to, you're not intimate with him right now, would you confess that and then seek him? We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Bless you.